Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. Well, for the last several weeks, we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark and gleaming from it what it tells us and teaches us about servanthood. The Gospel of Mark is a portrait of the ministry of Jesus, showing what he valued, what he made a priority in his life, what his attitudes were, and the scope of his authority. And those four things, those four aspects of his life, produced the greatest servant that the world has ever known. You see, servant, serving was the reason that he came. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so serving and giving was what the life of Jesus was all about. And likewise, it's to be the theme of our living as well. He calls us to be servants to our world. An important characteristic of a servant is that they pay close attention to their master. Psalms 123 verse 2 says, As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, and as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. And so servants pay close attention to the gestures of their master. The slightest nod of the head or the pointing of a finger or maybe even the blink of an eye, the servant understands those gestures and exactly what the master wants. And so at any given gesture, the servant jumps into action to take care of what the master wants him to do. In our study of the Gospel of Mark, we are observing the life of Jesus in his servanthood to learn how we are to act as servants in the kingdom of God. And so this morning we begin to look at the servant's obedience. Jesus said, I only do the things that the Father tells me to do. And so servanthood for Jesus was a direct response of his submission to the Father's will and directives. And as servants in God's kingdom, we are called to serve everyone that the Father cares for and loves. God gave his only son to the whole world to die for their sin. He loves the whole world, every race, every nationality, every ethnicity, rich or poor, Jesus loves and died for them all. And so therefore we don't get to pick and choose who we serve. We serve everyone the Father sends into our life. As servants in God's kingdom, we are called to serve whoever needs to be served. Servants only have one choice, and that is to obey their master. 
Servants simply do what the master wants them to do. And so our example on that is Jesus. Jesus served everyone the Father instructed him to serve, everyone the Father brought along his pathway. So chapter 7 through 10 of Mark's Gospel describe 14 different kinds of people and different kinds of situations that Jesus served. And we will look over several of those in the next couple of weeks. We're not going to probably cover them all, but we'll cover enough to get the understanding of the kinds of things that Jesus wants us to serve. But this morning, we're going to look at three of them. Three of these situations which were somewhat tense and somewhat frustrating. And Jesus could have easily excused himself of why he didn't need to be involved. But he didn't. He took the opportunity in every occasion to serve whom God brought across his pathway. So let's begin by looking at Mark chapter 7, verse 24. This is the story of the Syrophoenician woman. It says, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, the woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit, came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrophoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, Jesus told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found that her child was lying on the bed and the demon was gone. The text says that she that Jesus went to the vicinity of Tyre. Tyre was a Gentile territory, and the Jews had nothing to do with Gentiles. Gentiles were considered unclean, and so Jews didn't want to contaminate themselves by being around Gentiles. Verse 24 says that Jesus entered a house and he did not want anyone to know he was there. Jesus needed a time of rest from the demands of ministry and the opposition and the threats that he had been experiencing from the religious leaders of the Jews. And so he had gone into this Gentile territory where he could be left alone. The woman, the story says, was a Greek. The Greek culture tends to be loud, aggressive, and at times even a little pushy. If you've ever seen the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding, 
you recognize some of those characteristics in the people that were portrayed there. Well, the lady had somehow heard that Jesus had come to her town, and so she went to his house, to the house where he was staying, and begged him to deliver her daughter from evil spirits, which would be a very normal concern for any parent whose child was being tormented in this way. So it was a normal thing that she was asking and wanting help for her daughter. But when you put yourself in Jesus' place, you kind of see the story in a different light. Jesus was tired. He was weary. He was trying to get away from the pressures of people. No one was supposed to know that he was there. It was supposed to be a secret. But this aggressive Greek woman, uninvited, pushed her way in, begging Jesus to deliver her daughter from the demonic activity that was going on. Well, to human thinking, she was an intruder. She was a bother, a nuisance, maybe even a little obnoxious and demanding. And so this kind of situation can be very irritating and frustrating. Jesus just wanted to be left alone. Jesus' response to her was a little harsh. At least it sounded a little harsh. He said to her, "For first, let the little children eat all they want. You see, Jesus wanted her to understand that his first responsibility was to the Jews as their Messiah. That's why he had come, to fulfill the prophecy of the Messiah that God had given to the Jewish nation. Now, the opportunity for the Gentiles would come later, but at that moment in time, he had been sent to the Jews. And so he says to her, first let the children eat all they want. The children was the Israeli, uh, Israeli nation. Let them eat all they want. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Jesus was drawing attention to her, her unworthiness. She was a Gentile. She wasn't worthy at this moment. And it wasn't that he was trying to put her down, but rather he wanted her to understand that pushiness isn't what moves God. What moves God is humility and recognizing God's grace. Well, she understood that. And in humility, she expressed faith, believing that Jesus was good in spite of her unworthiness. And so in verse 28, she says, even dogs get to eat the crumbs under the table. Well, Jesus was so impressed with her faith that he told her, your daughter, your, your daughter has been healed. And so she went home and found her daughter totally set free. As servants in God's kingdom, God sends us to serve people who are unworthy. 
people who may even be a little obnoxious or irritating, people who seem to be a bother or a nuisance. But obedience to God requires us to see people how God sees them. We need to love people that God loves. We must be full of grace to make time for people that we would rather ignore. Several years ago, early in my ministry, when I was just in my 20s, I was pastoring a small church in Goleta, California, a church of probably about 50 or 60 people. And a group of pastors in the community had agreed to do a training for all their volunteers, especially their Sunday school teachers and children's workers. And so we were all going to cooperate together to do this training in five different churches. And we would rotate from church to church each night uh, at a different church. And the pastor of that church would do the teaching for that particular night. And so we had a curriculum that we were following. And so my assignment was on Friday night, the very last night of the training. So the other four pastors had already done their uh, night of, uh, of teaching, and they were all uh, seasoned pastors, successful pastors who pastored larger churches, and they had all done a magnificent job. And so now it was Friday afternoon, it was my turn coming up on Friday evening, and so I was working very hard and diligent to put together this lesson, and it just wasn't coming together. For whatever reason, it just wasn't uh, coming out the way that I uh, wanted it to. And so, you know, I was feeling somewhat intimidated that I was needing to impress everybody because of uh, how well these other pastors had done. and. I was frustrated, I couldn't get this message together. And the phone rang, and there was a man in the hospital, a man I had never met and did not know, and he said that he was uh, in the hospital, gonna be released, and he wanted to come to my office to get saved. Well, I had never had anybody ever call me and want to get saved before. And so I, I thought he was probably a kook or someone that was just gonna waste my time. And so I told him, well, you don't need to come to my office to get saved. You can get saved right here over the phone. And he says, I don't wanna get saved on the phone. I wanna come over to your office and get saved. Well, I didn't know what else to do, so I gave him the address and told him to come over. So he arrived a short time later and he began to tell me his story that he had been in the hospital for several days. And his wife, who was a Christian, had previously to his being in the hospital, had witnessed to him on many occasions, had uh, invited him to go to church with her, and uh, he had never had any interest in going to church with her or uh, receiving Christ. and. So he had just put her off and put her off, and 
So while he was in the hospital, she told him that she wanted a divorce and she was going to get a divorce. And uh, it just shook him to the, his core. And in that moment, he began to cry out to the Lord, just saying, God, if as soon as I get out of this hospital, I'm going to go to a church and get saved. And so that's what he was trying to do. He had called me from the hospital. He was going to be released, and he wanted to come to my office and get saved. Well, I took the time to share with him the gospel and to talk to him about repentance and all the things that uh, a salvation experience involves. And then we went from my office into the church sanctuary, and he knelt at the altar and began to pour out his heart to God, confessing all his sin and telling the Lord he was sorry for the mess he had made of his life, asking Jesus to come into his heart. And after quite a long time of just uh, him crying and bawling and uh, laying it all out to the Lord, uh, he knew that Jesus had come into his heart and changed his life. Well, I learned an important lesson that day. When you are a servant in God's kingdom, you obey God and serve whomever he sends you, when it, even when it seems inconvenience and a bother. I could have missed the thrill of leading this man to Christ. You see, serving him was far more important than impressing the people at this training session that was going to happen that evening. I'm so glad that I took the time to serve him in his time of need. The second story in Mark's gospel that shows us the obedience of the servant is the story of a deaf mute whom Jesus healed. And his story is found in Mark 7, verses 32 through 37. Here's what it says. There came some people who brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged him to place his hands on the man. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh, he said to him, be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed in it with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The story tells us that Jesus had gone to Decapolis. Decapolis is the same city in which the demonized man in last week's message from Pastor Andy, 
The demonized man was in Decapolis that, that Andy preached about in Mark chapter 5. And you remember that he had been delivered from just thousands of demons, and Jesus cast them out, and they uh, rushed down into a herd of pigs who rushed into the sea and drowned. Well, the people of Decapolis had actually asked Jesus to leave their region at that time because of this uh, herd of pigs being drowned and uh, they're not understanding what was going on, the fear of it all. And the man, you remember from Andy's sermon, wanted to uh, follow Jesus and go with Jesus. And Jesus told him, no, that he needed to stay there in Decapolis and tell about his miracle to the people, to his family. And so he did that. He went all over that region telling about the miracle, and people were amazed. Well, now in Mark chapter 7, which is sometime later from the occasion of chapter 5, Jesus is back in Decapolis, and these same townspeople who had once told him to leave, now brought to him this deaf-mute for him to heal. You see, sometimes Jesus sends us to serve people who have rejected us, people who can't hear, people who don't listen, people who are, who are so full of their own opinion that they can't hear anything else. Several years ago, Robin and I were counseling with a couple who were having marital difficulties. And the husband was very argumentative and wasn't listening to anything that I said. Well, after trying for over an hour to get through to him, I'd had enough. And without saying a word, I just got up and walked out of the room, leaving the man stunned. And he turned to Robin and he said, what did I do? Is he coming back? And Robin said, I, I don't know if he's coming back, but what you did was you ignored everything that he said. You argued with everything he was trying to tell you. You haven't heard anything that he was saying. Well, I stayed out in the hallway for several minutes trying to uh, get my composure and asking the Lord to give me the patience that I needed to continue dealing with this man and to show me how to get through to him. And so finally, when I'd calmed down, I came back into the room and the man was just very apologetic. He just fell all over himself trying to apologize to me. But what that had done was that it broke that argument of spirit and we were able to continue the discussion and to get someplace in the things that I was trying to say to him. So God had used my frustration to open this man to the truth of what he needed to hear. I had wanted I didn't want to go back into that room with him, but I surrendered my will to the will of God, and God worked a miracle.
And so sometimes God sends us as his servants to people who refuse to hear, people who are hostile, people who push all of our buttons. But when we surrender to God's will and obey what he's telling us, he can turn even those situations into a miracle of his grace. And that's what he did on that occasion. He healed that man because I obeyed and went back into the room, and even though I didn't want to, but God gave me the, the ability to say things that he needed to hear. Well, the third story in Mark's gospel is the story of the feeding of 4,000. And that's found in Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. It says, During the, those days, another large crowd gathered, and since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. Well, his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Well, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. Well, Jesus told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples to set them before the people. And they did so. And they had a few small fish as well. And he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. And about 4,000 men were present. And having sent them away, Jesus got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Damathus. And so on this occasion, 4,000 men plus women and children had gathered to hear Jesus teach, and they'd been with him for three days and just drinking in everything that he was telling them. But after three days, they'd run out of food it was getting late in the afternoon, and so Jesus asked the disciples, well, how much food do we have on hand? And they replied, just, you know, seven loaves and a few fish. But Jesus took the loaves and fish and thanked God for them and began to break them and hand them back to the disciples to distribute to the crowd the lesson for us in this parable or this story is that even when we feel totally inadequate, God always makes up the difference between what we have on hand and what the situation requires when we obey what he is telling us. When Jerry, my daughter Jerry, was probably four or five years old. I, I don't remember exactly how old she was, but it, she was a preschooler. 
She and I went to the grocery store and we picked up several items and so we were standing in line to pay for the items that I had gathered in my basket. Jerry was in front of me in the line and like all grocery stores, there was by the checkout line a, a shelf with various candy bars displayed. And so Jerry picked out a candy bar that she wanted and she reached into her little purse and pulled out just a handful of pennies, probably about seven or eight pennies. And so she hands the candy bar to the checkout clerk and then she hands the clerk her seven or eight pennies. Well, I'm standing behind her and I realize that her pennies are not enough to pay for that candy bar. The candy bar cost 25 cents and she only had seven or eight. And so without her even knowing it, I reached into my pocket and pulled out enough money to make up the difference from what she had given the cl clerk to what was needed. Well, she was so proud of herself that she had purchased her own candy bar and with her own money. She didn't even know that I had made up the difference between what she had and what she needed. But that's exactly what God does for us all the time. What we have is often inadequate. But he makes up the difference between what we have and what is needed in any situation. And so as servants, we must learn to obey God based upon who he is, not what we have or how inadequate we might feel. Servanthood requires obedience, even when we feel frustrated and bothered, even when we are at our wit's end because people don't hear, and even when we don't know, or, or even when we know that we are so inadequate for the situation. You see, we don't pick and choose. We simply serve those the Lord brings across our pathway. It may require us to give up our bias and prejudice. It may require us to sacrifice our own convenience. It may require us to be stretched beyond our present comfort. But if we will serve well the people God brings into our lives, he will produce astounding miracles among them. Our world is presently in chaos. And God has us here for such a time as this. And whatever you may feel about various groups of people in our present pandemic circumstance, God has us here to obediently serve the ones he brings into our lives. As good servants, we must be attentive to his voice. We must keep our focus upon his eyes and the gestures of his hands and be ready to reach out to people that he is calling us to serve. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege we have of partnering with you to serve the needs of people. And I pray for each one of us today that we will be attentive 
to you, Lord, to be sensitive to what you're speaking, to watch the gestures that you will give us that indicate things that you want us to do, and that we'd be eager to jump in and to serve, knowing that you are the all-sufficient one, even though we might be inadequate, you will make up the difference in what we are and what we need to be. So help us this week, Lord, to look for people to serve. In Jesus' name, amen. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.